If you've been married at all, you know that there's a, there's a couple rules about marriage. Um, one of the ones is that, and, and one of the things I encourage people as I get the opportunity and the blessing to, to do weddings, I encourage people to, to date their spouse. To st- don't ever stop dating your spouse. Don't get so busy doing the work. Don't get so busy doing um, life in general, especially when kids come around. Make sure you go on a date. Well, there have been seasons where I have completely not dated Jen. Like, I mean, it has been like, it has been seasons where, where whether it's kids or work or the finances or whatever it may be, I've just used kind of secondary things to excuse away not dating Jen. And if I were to ask you guys it, during those seasons when we were, you know, maybe a month or a few weeks or even maybe two months of, of not dating each other, I, I could almost guarantee that every single one of you would say the same answer. But if I were to ask you, how, how do you think Jen and I were communicating during that time? No, yeah, not communicating. That's a, thank you for believing nothing in me. Come on, people. No. Um, but in, 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 that, in that reality, it's true. We weren't, we weren't connected. We weren't really, we weren't communicating well as well. Um, things that she would do normally that I would be okay with, maybe I started getting more frustrated with. The things that I would do that I'm sure are always frustrating, she would actually be frustrated and, and would start acting out in anger. And so we, our communication would let down. And it's, maybe it's not as, as formulaic as that. It's just if you don't go on a date, your communication changes. There's so many other aspects to that. But it, it, for all intents and purposes, you could say that essentially I wasn't really maintaining my marriage. And it seems weird to use the word maintain, but I think a lot of us, let me, let me use this as a different example. A lot of us have cars that we don't actually do the, the routine maintenance. If that's true, some of you are like, well, yeah, that's, that's, it's, like, it's turned into a game, right? You're trying to figure out how long you can go without fixing whatever's been like yelling at you to get fixed for a very long time. Let's see, as I, as I was looking at, well, what is, what is the opposite of maintaining? So if I'm, not, if I'm not maintaining something, then what am I doing? Well, the antonym to maintain is, is neglect. And so some would say, that seems like such a negative word. Some would say, I'm not neglecting my marriage by not taking my wife out on a date, but I'm definitely not maintaining it. I'm not putting the energy or the effort into it. And what's interesting about those two words is that most of us would probably try and give ourselves a way out when it comes to the word neglect. I'm not neglecting my car. I've just been really busy. I'm not neglecting my children. They're just, you know, we just got a lot of, I got to get this work done. But we're not maintaining. We're not continuing to pour into. You leave a, a lawn uncut for so long. And, and, and granted, the, 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 the lawn will get longer and longer and longer. And pretty soon weeds will grow and it'll look worse and worse. And who knows if it's even a lawn. Now, I get it. You can see this all the way through. The benefit is you still own your car whether you're maintaining it or not, right? It's still good old reliable or unreliable depending upon the lack of maintenance you have. And similar, even though I'm not necessarily maintaining, maybe neglecting Jen, I'm still her husband and she's still my wife. So the relationship is still intact. But what's interesting about maintenance or neglect or maintaining or neglect is that, is that a lot of the things that we are called to do in the scriptures revolve around this kind of these two areas. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up and the ushers will grab one for you. You can open up your smartphone and look on that if you want to. Um, but either way, I'd love for you to turn the scriptures with me. Two weeks ago, um, we were in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and I, we kind of began, I had to kind of preface it with this. Look, look we are in the chapters of Ephesians where we get to get really, really practical. But we cannot, we cannot divorce ourselves from the first three chapters. We cannot remove our thinking and our posture and our understanding of what all the Apostle Paul's been saying to us as he's written to the church in Ephesus 
in these first three chapters. And I remind you that, that our standing and who we are in God and, and every spiritual blessing, all the promises that we have, I, I challenged you two weeks ago to, to keep reading through chapter one and just, just let that sink in because if we ever remove ourselves from that, when we get to these chapters, we, we, we end up, we end up in, a, in a bad spot. And I said it this way. I said that ultimately we never actually ever leave sitting with Christ like in the first three chapters. It's as we are seated with Christ, we learn how to walk with him. And as we are walking, as we see it, as seated and walk, we learn how to stand with him. And so, so we can't separate the truths from the first three chapters as we get into this chapter as well, but it's super practical. And we began this section where, where the Apostle Paul is, is, is he's, he's pleading, he's, he's urgently excited about what's going on. And he, he's asking the believers to walk in a, in a manner worthy of their calling. And we, we, we talked through that so a couple weeks ago, so if you want to go back and listen to it, I encourage you to. But we said the first three attributes, the first three characteristics that, that are, are, are worthy in our walking was, was humility and gentleness. And, and um, that third one that I'm forgetting right now, patience. <laughs> and so we said those, three, those are the three things that he said to start with. And then we pick up, we, we go a little bit further. He has one more, and I said that all of these were to a purpose and to a point. What's, you, what's really crazy and beautiful about this is that he starts out with kind of here are the characteristics, here's what's expected, and then he's, he's got this, this kind of pivotal point in the middle of why we're doing it and then how come we can do it. And so this is kind of, it kind of feels like it's almost backwards. But again, we, we can't do this without characterizing the Spirit of God. And, and again, I, I said this as, as, as much as I possibly could last time. R- remember this, this is not a muscling through it thing. This is not something that we can just go, well, I can do this on my own strength. I'm super strong. I'm super disciplined. I got this. No, you may be able to do it for a time. But the reality is it requires the Spirit working through you. It requires Him leading you into doing the things that He's called you to. And, and, and those three attributes, humility and gentleness and, and patience, are attributes of the Spirit. They're a fruit of what the Spirit does in us. And so for, um, chapter 4, we're going to pick up in, in verse 2. We already read the first one. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I want to—I didn't hit that one last week or two weeks ago because I wanted it to be in this week. So I'm going to talk about that one real quickly. One of the things that this means, bearing with one another in, in love, is actually um, a, a long enduring thing. It is to take something that that takes a lot. So, so when it says bearing with one another, well, first we have to define who the one another is. Well. In, in this context, the one another is all the, the believers in Ephesus. To us, as we attribute that today, that's the, the, the believers in, in the church of Christ. And so it says, bearing with one another in love. Well, that actually says that we are going to enter into hardship with one another. That means that we're going to take on um, the difficulties in life. We're going to in- endure injuries and sins of other people. And we're going to do that with love. And there are, there are a number of different words for love in, in the New Testament, and this is, this is the kind of love that is, is the same love that Christ shows us. So the expectation is, is that I'm going to endure injuries and the sins of one another. I'm going to bear that. Now, I, I'm, if you're anything like me, I, I bet that in and of itself is a struggle. I think it's fitting that he said that we start with humility first and gentleness and patience. Because if those three aspects aren't there, we're not going to actually bear with one another in love. And if we don't bear with one another in love, then we can't actually accomplish or see come to fruition the truth of what this scripture is saying right here. So 
as you bear with one another in love, I, I want to ask you this. How, how often has another believer, another friend, someone in your church, someone in your community group, your gospel community, whatever it may be, how often have they sinned in a, in a way that's, that's obvious and you have bared with them? You've been present with them through that. I'm not saying just gloss over and pretend like it didn't happen. That's not what I'm talking about. But you've actually entered into the mess and said, look, this isn't where God wants you. Let's rest in his grace. Let's, 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 let's work through this. Let's see the truth on the end of it. Calls us to bear with one another love. Now, all of these attributes lead us to something. So he goes on. He says, bearing with one another love. Eager or diligent is that word. To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so he goes on and talks about these first four characteristics. These things happen. Well, what do they do? It essentially says this. Humility gives birth to gentleness. Birth gives, um, gentleness gives birth to patience. Patience gives birth to bearing love for one another. And all four together preserve the unity of of, of the bond of peace. So all four of these d d work together to bring about unity. Well, unity is one of those words that even uh, a few people I was studying with, we were arguing about whether or not what, how unity was and how to define it. Well, first off, I think it's very clear in this scripture that we need to understand something. If you are a follower, a professed follower of Jesus, okay, if you, you surrendered your life to him as Lord and you surrendered him as King and your Savior, then in reality, you and any other individual that has done that are unified by the Spirit of God. You are, you are one by the Spirit of God. There's, there, is no, there is no, like, divisiveness there. There is no d dividing line in that. It is you are one with that. So, so take a look around. This is your family, people, right? Like, for better or for worse, right? We, we, we are in on this together. But ultimately, this unity is already ours and achieved by the Spirit of God, not by us. And that's that you need to think about that. We have to be clear about that because he says two words that make it seem like it's all about us. He says this eager or diligent and then maintain. And he puts those two words on us, on what we are to do. I want to be really clear. It, the, 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 the unity is ours in Christ. But then he calls us to be eager or diligent. This describes a, a zealous striving. The unity is uh, speaking of the inner and universal unity of the spirit by which every believer is bound to, to every other true believer. It's already ours. We can't create it, but it's the church's job to preserve it. And so he says to us, he says that, okay, if you can walk with humility and patience and gentleness and, and to bear with one another in love, well then in that process, you need to be eager. You need to strive zealously to maintain this unity. This is why I started at the beginning with maintain and neglect. This scripture didn't really make a lot of sense to me necessarily the way I thought it did until I understood what the antonym of maintain was, which was neglect. You are either maintaining or you are neglecting. There is no neutral ground. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is calling these believers, whether they are Jewish or Gentile, to us, no matter where our backdrop is, is to maintain, to diligently, zealously chase after unity. What does that look like for us? Well, let me say a couple things. I, I believe this is, is fairly clear from the scriptures, is that although um, our calling is, is I'm, I'm holy and blameless because of what Christ has done, I still operate and act some ways 
not as a holy or blameless person would, by the choices and the sins I make. The ultimate reality is I believe that in, in, in the end of everything, when Christ comes again, we will see this unity in absolute perfection. But there's still a way for us to maintain it in the here, but not yet. There's still a way for us to operate in the here, but not yet. So it'd be similar to me saying, well, I'm not really holy and blameless, blameless because I sin, so therefore I can just give up on this whole holy and blameless idea. No. No, I, I desire righteousness. I desire righteousness, and therefore I desire righteousness because he is righteous. This is, this is what we're called to. So it, 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 it's, one scholar said it this way, to live in a, in a manner which mars the unity of spirit is to do despite to the gracious reconciling work of Christ. It is tantamount to saying that his, his sacrificial death by which relationships with God and others have been restored along with the resulting freedom of, to, of access to the Father are of no real consequence to us. So when we choose to be disunified, when we choose to neglect unity, it's, it's almost like we're saying, you know what, the reconciling work of Christ was just not that big a deal. I mean, I get it. He, he's restoring all of us together, but you know what? It's not, it's not that big a deal. Paul isn't speaking, I want to be really clear about this, Paul isn't speaking about unity at any cost or any price. He's not saying, oh, just, just be unified and, and forget everything. No, in fact, the fundamental truths of the gospel are not abandoned. As a strong motivation for his appeal for unity, he presents a series of seven acclamations with these ones that we're going to talk about. So he, he goes into doctrine and says, it's not, it's not unity at all costs, like forget truth. Well, someone doesn't like the truth, well, then just, you know, just diminish the truth, truth or, or water it down enough so that way they can, they can pallet it. No, in fact, he goes on to, to give us the, the, the seven massive truths. And so it's not, a, it's not an abandonment of truth. But how does this play out for us today? Let me, let me just hang a statement out there. If you've ever said this or thought this, because I have, man, I really, I really don't like that person, but, you know, I love them. False. That's not true. We can't, we, can't, we can't separate those two that way. And if they're a follower of Jesus, well, then you're neglecting unity if you feel that way. This is where this hits really hard for us. Ultimately, if we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, then we're to do that with all humility and, and patience and gentleness and to bear with one another in love. And then in that, we are to be eager eager, eager to maintain this unity, to, to preserve this unity, to work at this unity. He goes into this long list of ones, and this is, I think this is brilliant why he did this, because a lot of times people would say, well, you know, we can just, we're just going to disagree on everything, and it's okay, you know. He, he, the Apostle Paul lays out the truth of all the scriptures right here to everyone. They had already taught forever that there was only one God, that was, that was the truth of the scriptures from way back in the day, but he lays them all out. He says there's, he says there's one body, which is, by the way, the, the church. That's the church of, of Christ, the people that are following Jesus Christ. We are his body. This is going back to chapter 2 where he talks about us being made into a holy temple, a dwelling place for the Lord. Right? One body. We are, we are um, one spirit, which is talking about the Holy Spirit. The calling here is not gifting this is the call again into who we are in Christ. So the call essentially at Romans 8.29 says that we are to be conformed to his image. So this is the, the calling that we have. It's not an individual job calling, but it's a grand calling. There's one calling 
for all of us to be formed, conformed into his image. That's the calling. It says, he says that, um, he says there's one Lord, that's Jesus Christ. One faith. Um, this is, this is a little tricky. This isn't the faith that like I have faith in Jesus. Actually, this word is, is used kind of like Jude 3, where it says the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Um, essentially, this is like a settled body of truth deposited by Christ. So what he's saying is that the faith is, um, is, uh, is us being committed to one another. The early church Christians um, recognized a body of basic doctrine that they taught and guarded and committed themselves to others. We see that in 2 Timothy. Christians may differ in some matters of interpretation in church practice, but all true Christians agree on the faith. We agree to not to depart from the faith. To depart from it is to bring about disunity. And so the faith is actually our understanding of scriptures. That's what he's talking about here. The understanding of truth. That's the one faith. And then he says one baptism. This is not in regards to baptism of the Holy Spirit or water baptism. This is talking about water baptism, that there was no difference between a Jewish baptism and a Gentile baptism in Christ. We are baptized in Christ. One baptism. And then he ends it with the obvious. There's one God and Father who is over all, in all, and through all. So he lays out our unity and shows the power at which that unity brings. This one God, one Lord, one baptism, one, one spirit, one body, one faith. So we see this, we see this understanding that, that, that for us to be disunified is, is kind of silly. In reality, when, when we're, 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 we're laying out in front of us that look, all of this is true about us in Christ, we're one. Whether you like it or not, we are one. Now, this is probably one of those truths that made it, it rang differently in the church of Ephesus than it did for us today. Again, they were dealing immensely with the, the Jew and the Gentile wrestling. They were, they were dealing with the, the battle between those two kind of upbringings and those kind of classes kind of clashing on Christ. And so that was kind of the battle. I think for us today, this is harder. Because let's, let's be honest, if, if you don't like something, you can just go find another church. Let's be, let's be honest, if you disagree with someone, there's someone out there that will agree with you. And so what we have perpetuated in the beauty of seeing many different versions of, of Christ and the body and different denominations out there, what we perpetuated is a ground to just disagree and run. So when someone says something that I don't like, I run. We talk about this in our intro to Rev class, where I say, look, we can, we can disagree and argue, but our commitment to one another is to sit at the table. We want to we sit down and have a conversation at the table. If you stand up and push yourself on the table and leave and th- drop your mic or whatever, however you want to say it, right, and run out the door, you're, be- as you're essentially saying that I believe that disunity is the best thing for this situation. There are healthy and biblical and great reasons to find another body if you need to, but there are biblical and healthy ways to do that. And it's not just because we disagree. Because let's be honest, there are some truths that all of us are going to disagree on. But just think about this. At some point, all of us are going to agree on every single thing. Have you ever think about that? I don't really picture us getting kind of to the new kingdom and Jesus being like, okay, hey, okay, Baptists over here. Okay, guys, you're going to be over here. Wait, the non-denoms, you're kind of crazy, and we got to split you guys up in some sections here, you know? Okay, well, Methodists, you're going to be here. No, I don't see that. 
In fact, I see the practices and the understanding that maybe man has gotten in the way becoming uniform in Christ because there's only one God. So that may mean that today on earth, as we're pleading for his kingdom to come, that some of the thinking, some of the practices that we have to use to disagree with other people, we need to be a little bit more humble. There's one truth. It's the scriptures. Now I understand our interpretations can get us in trouble of this truth. But if we are humble, we're submitted to this. If you've ever been, I have like um, Danny who's taught here before. Him and I have this very long, long relationship where we were laughing and kind of actually disagreeing about unity this week. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things I realized is we were talking about like over the decade, him and I have, have spent time studying scriptures, scriptures together. We've, we've, we've seen a lot of instances where I've held something tightly and said, no, it can't be this. And he's been on the opposite. But almost in every single one of those, as we started laying them out, it's like, wow. And all of those, we've, we've kind of either I've seen the scripture in the truth the way that you see it or vice versa, or someone's corrected both of us in that. And we've seen that happen. So it gave us a lot of peace to say, okay, well, apparently we don't see eye to eye on this right now, but maybe God will do something here. But, but the reason why I bring that up is that we are to dis- disagree in unity. We're not to disagree just to disagree or to prove a point. No, our, our, our desire should never be to prove a point. Our desire should be pointing people to the truth of Christ and his word. And if our thinking and our practice is in the way of that, then we need to humble ourselves. We need to gently have a conversation with another person. We need to be patient as someone's wrestling through something that they've believed their whole life that may not be the truth. This is so valuable. If the, if the church, you know, as we get ready around Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, and, and this is, you know, people fight for the meaning of the season. We're fighting for whether or not Christmas or holidays is the word that can be used in which store. And this is this whole battle of what can happen in, in the culture and the world. Really, really, if we want to be a bright spot for the world, we need to figure out how to be more unified. In, in fact, let me just say it this way. If we want to be a bright spot for the world, we need to actually maintain unity and not neglect it. So, so let's see this out a little bit more practically. That means that some of you right now, there are people in this body <laughs> that you dislike. Like, I just don't like them. They rub me the wrong way. However you try and make it sound a little bit less hostile, you're neglecting unity. You, you realize that you are neglecting unity. You're not maintaining it. You're neglecting it. Some of you are like, well, you know what? I'm just, I'm so mad at that old church or that old pastor, and I'm just so bitter, I can't believe it. Well, you're neglecting unity. You're not maintaining it. You, you know what one other antonym to, to maintain is? Discontinue. To just stop. Paul is, is pleading with the believers in Ephesus to walk in this manner that's worthy to the calling that they have. It's worthy to, to the oneness that we have in Christ. And we gain that oneness through his work. But then God, in, in his infinite grace and wisdom, lobs out and says, okay, okay, Brent. Now maintain this. Maintain this. And that may mean sometimes I get a little behind. Lawn's a little long. A few extra weeds in there. But the reality is he's, he's given us a, a work to do. So this may mean right now that you are someone else that professes the name of Jesus. You're, you're mad at them. You're like, I, I don't like them. I'm mad at them. And they may have hurt you. And that's, I'm not minimizing that hurt or that, that pain. But, but what would it look like for you to be eager 
to maintain the unity in that relationship. I'm not talking about what they may or may not do. Some of you, like holidays, you see it in your families, right? There's tears and there's pain. I'm not saying that the pain goes away if we're unified, but I can tell you right now, you can sure bear things a lot differently when you have people around you bearing them with you like we're commanded to in the New Testament. So where are you neglecting? Maybe, maybe some of you, how are you maintaining? Maybe this is a, this is a chance where you can go, man, I, like praise God that he has, he has humbled me enough. He has, he, has, he has postured me in enough gentleness that I can start maintaining this with these individuals. Maybe some of you right now, you're experiencing the fruit of that in friendships. But think about every relationship you had. And I, if you've been raised in the church, you've heard this analogy forever. Like, if you have a great friend, you never talk to him, how come you're never praying, right? Like that whole, like, trying to guilt you into praying more. It never works. But the reality is, is, is that a, a friendship is, isn't, isn't maintained by distance and no conversation and thinking ill of each other and just not caring what happens to the other person. No, uh, it's maintained by pushing into each other by walking through that. And that, sometimes time separates that. I get it. But, but we're called as followers of Jesus Christ. If you bear the name of Jesus, then you are called to maintain that with every other believer. This is hard. So that means when you disagree, you, you, you best be submitted to the scriptures and let God speak to you both in this situation and bring about truth. It's called discipleship. It's a really beautiful thing. If you, if you have hatred or anger in your heart, it's time to confess. It's time to confess that and maintain that. You're like, I don't have hatred or anger. I just, I might celebrate if something bad happened to them. <laughs> That's not good, okay? I, I tried to imagine, you know, what this looked like. And if you look at the early church, as, as you're studying, you know, we're talking about the early church. You know, in Acts 2, everyone was selling everything and living together and everything was awesome. And I kind of justified it because I said, well, yeah, at that point they had like four truths to hold on to, right? Like, just, just keep these four things. We got it. Let's go. And then, you know, we started studying more and then got more scholars that are smart people that start breaking up all these isms and ologies and all these other thinking in there. And so there's so many reasons for us to start dividing ourselves because, well, you don't practice this way and I practice this way. And the reality, I do believe, and at the end of it all, at the end of it all, we are for sure going to be 100% unified in this. In fact, it was, one scholar said it this way, if all Christians are walking in obedience to and in the power of the Holy Spirit, first our doctrine and then our relationships would be purified and unified. The spiritual unity that already exists would be practically manifested in complete harmony among the people of God. I don't know about you, but maybe complete harmony isn't, isn't a reality, but I'm looking for some harmony. What would it, what would it just... Just what would it look like if the person that you're thinking about right now, you're like, man, I just cannot stand that person. They drive me crazy. Look, we just, we just don't mesh well, so therefore I just choose to ignore them. Uh, that's not forbearing love. What would it look like if we all just kind of laid ourselves out for that a little bit more? Now, let me tell you a couple things would happen. One is you get hurt. I can promise you that. Because when you, when you, when you forbear love, when you bear with one another in love, you're going to get hurt. Because people just, they, they have a hard time accepting that. 
But here's the, here's the other reality. You'd be doing what the scriptures tell us to do, which is diligently maintaining the unity of the spirit to the bond of peace. So I, I don't know if maybe thinking of it this way, you know, Jesus is the, the prince of peace. He's, a, he's our king as well. We celebrate this year this gift of, of, of this beautiful, 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 humble and lowly position for a massive and amazing king that deserves so, so much more. God does that so that you and I can be in a right relationship with him. He goes to the most extreme measures so that I can have a right standing with him and so that I can have a right standing with others. And so many of us want to separate those two out. We want, to, we want to just fight because we want to be right. Well, guess what? That's pride. And God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, so what if we, we just submitted ourselves to the reality and the truth that the, the point of what Jesus is doing is reconciliation? That is, that is the point of what he's doing. And for us to assume that it's just reconciliation to him and not to others is, is, a, is a lie. It's a lie. And in fact, I think it's what the enemy uses to keep us from doing what God calls us to do. So I don't know where you're not maintaining. Maybe some of you, it's just back to, I mean, I need to take my wife on a date. Do it. That's a good idea. Okay. Some of you, maybe it's time to get that oil change. I get it. In the car, you need to get it done. Some of you, there are relationships right now that you, you know you need to maintain. There are hurts that you know that hurt. Maybe this is, this is the one. This is the one that gets me. You know someone's mad at you, right? Because they do a really good job of looking at you that way that like they're obviously upset. But then you say something like this, because I've said this. Well, you're an adult. Act like an adult. Tell me if you're upset, right? That's, that's, that's not healthy thinking. Okay, yes, they should act in different ways. I get that. But, but what if everyone just kind of deemed it as their job? In fact, I wonder if biblically we're called to do that. The Apostle Paul tells us that as far as it depends on you, Bren, be at peace with all men. That doesn't leave a lot of room for me to go, well, they haven't started yet. I'm waiting for them to take the first step. Maybe it's, it's time for us to take a step into unity, into walking in this way. And look, here's, here's the thing, and we're going to get there in chapter 6. But just to tease it out, yours and my faith is contingent on the individuals God has around us. He, he works in amazing ways, and we can see immense strength and power and unity, or we can see immense weakness and pain and disunity just by our unwillingness to work together. The Apostle Paul is telling us, ultimately, he's telling just like he told the church in Ephesus, that you are one. It's one God. It's one Jesus Christ, one spirit, one body. Stop pretending like you're not a part of the body. Stop pretending like it doesn't apply to you. It applies to all of us. And so maybe the action you could take this week, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna worship some more. And maybe during this, this time of worship, maybe the action you guys can take is, is just to sit. Maybe you need to get up and walk out of the door and you need to pick up your phone and text because, you, you know, you don't like to call, which I still don't get, right? <laughs> text or call someone saying, I need, I need to get together with you. I have thought illy of you. I have thought 
not good of you. Maybe this is a time for you to stand and just, and just worship in the fact that you see God working in you as you diligently maintain this unity. You're experiencing unity in an amazing way. Maybe for some of you, it's time for you to stop playing church and actually be the church. We have, some of you, you have forsaken community. You're like, well, I show up at church every now and then. That's okay. Well, good news is on the first Friday in January, we have an intro to gospel community class. On the table out there is an orange sheet. You can sign up for it. Some of you, it means that you have to take the messy step of getting into community because you cannot keep excusing away your soul, lonely life where you're not connected to believers, where you're not sharpened by believers, where you're not pouring out into other believers. Some, some of you, it, you, you, you've just been neglecting it because you're selfish. And you say, oh, I just am too busy. Trust me, the, the, you are in the worst spot ever when you're neglecting u- unity. The reality is, is that you're not going to lose the unity and spirit of Christ. But, but I've done enough weddings now that I have yet to have a couple, at least yet, this could happen, that stood up there and said, man, I hope to just not hate you that much for the rest of my life. I have, I've yet to see someone say it, all right? I've yet to, all right? You know what? I hope that this just goes down in flames and we don't work out. No, no one says that. No one desires that. The desire is, is to, to love and to, to, to thrive and to, and to be a picture of Christ and the church in a, in a marriage. That's, that's, the, that's what it's supposed to be. And, and unfortunately, there are numbers of marriages that do fail and do fall apart. So don't see this, this analogy all the way through. You're, you're secure with Christ. He, he says you're already one. He's just giving you an opportunity to experience another aspect of his kingdom that is so beautiful and so big and so amazing as you diligently maintain the unity today. So, so, so you, you can choose not to or choose to. Some of us, it's laziness. We're just lazy. We just don't want to do it. We'd rather, you know, we say we're busy, but really we'd rather, you know, play video games or watch movies or, or you know, eat popcorn or just, you know, do nothing at all. I'm telling you, there is a, there is a better way to live. And God isn't, he's, he's, not, he's not asking you to do this. He's, he's, he's calling you to, to, to zealously, eagerly approach this to see maintenance. And when you're not maintaining, trust me, you're neglecting. And you can see that in, in every relationship in your life. And God is saying, I have more for you. Let me pray. God, thank you for unifying uh, a people that seem... Uh, left on our own accord would absolutely never happen. God, thank you for uh, bringing us about to, to you through the one Lord Jesus Christ. God, it's his, his work on the cross that, is, that has brought about reconciliation. God, I, I want to specifically pray for the individual in the room that hasn't experienced that reconciliation. And maybe there's someone here today that, that doesn't know what they believe about Jesus. And they hear about this unity, and maybe they're using that as an excuse to not be a part of the church because they see just how disunified the church can be. Um, God, I, I, I pray that you'd bring about reconciliation in their heart. Lord, I pray that they would, they would surrender themselves to you. They would identify you as Lord. And they would watch you work as you reconcile them to not only you, but to every other believer in the world.
Father, I pray for um, our brothers and sisters that are maybe misguided in truth right now, that have been led astray, that think they're following you, but they aren't, Lord. I pray that you'd bring about reconciliation there. God, for the individuals in the room that are carrying around um, broken relationships, whether they're broken years ago or broken today, God, I pray that you would bring about a diligence and eagerness inside of us to maintain those things, to seek reconciliation. God, you, you, d- you went through so much to restore and to reconcile. And Lord, I pray that um, every single one of us in here, whether it's our marriages or with our kids or um, whether they're family or they're just uh, coworkers, classmates, individuals in our gospel community. God, I pray that we wouldn't be afraid to speak the truth in love. I pray that we would be able to be willing and desire to speak the truth and, and ready to forbear it in love as well. So God, as you restore, as you bring about um, your unity, I pray, God, that, that this church, this small church here, God, would be, uh, would be a light for your kingdom. And one of the ways in which you do that would be uh, those that don't know you yet, those that are far from you, would see uh, the unity that is found here, the, the, the willingness to be humble and, and disagree in a way to seek truth to the scriptures and not just to, to, to push an agenda. A people that are fully, fully surrendered to the one faith, the truth of your word, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And Lord, I pray um, specifically for the individual that maybe is reconciled to you for the first time today. God, would you connect them would you, would you bring about the truth? Would they share that with their friend? God, for the individuals in here that you have identified people that they need to re- reconcile with. You have identified people that they are saying things like, I just don't like them, but I have to love them, God. And instead are treating them in an unloving way. God, I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to walk in that and not put it off. As we, as we sit or as we stand, as we sing, God, may we worship with a, with a pure conscience, knowing that, that you are working in us. And in light of that, we are working um, through your spirit to do uh, the things that bring the most glory to your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.